Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're continuing our month of puddings and custards with a total win for St. Patty's Day, bread and butter pudding with Irish whiskey caramel butter sauce. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We'll also review our slow cooker rice pudding from last week. Was this 70s staple up to the challenge of a modern day dessert? We'll find out. In the Gadget Garage, we'll talk slow cookers and kitchen blowtorches, which may or may not be crucial for an upcoming episode. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, are you watching Our Girl Reese in Big Little Lies? No. Oh. Highly recommend. Have you read the book Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty? I did read the book, and I somehow completely missed the fact that there was a movie coming out and that Reese Witherspoon was in it. So Reese and some of her besties like Nicole Kidman and Zoe Kravitz <laughs> and Laura Dern and Shalane Woodley and Adam Scott, it is so star-studded, they made a miniseries basically. I think they're calling it – I don't know that miniseries is like the cool word anymore. They're calling it right. like a limited TV edition or something like that. Right. Anyway, it's on HBO and it is great. Um, if readers um, out there are familiar with Leanne Moriarty's work, she has a bunch of great books that are kind of, I think I read once they were referred to as the thinking gals beach read. And I would agree with that <laughs> assessment. As a thinking gal, I would confirm. <laughs> As a thinking gal. Um, and yeah, they they're, have some pretty good commentary about like motherhood and and being part of a couple and raising kids and and all of this. And um, I think so far I'm about three episodes in and it's uh, changed. Leanne Moriarty is an um, Australian author and they've moved it to California. But I actually think that setting works really well. And Reese, I read one review that said she is like a grown up Tracy Flick, which was her character in Election, oh. which one of my favorite of all time roles of Reese's. So you got to check it out. It's uh, it's wonderful. Really great. I loved Election with Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick, two of my favorite actors. And those two playing off of each other is just fabulous. I just love that movie so much. So anyway, yeah, I know that you always appreciate a Reese update. And so go check it out. I do. Thank Mm -hmm. you for the heads up. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to give an update on one of my New Year's baking resolutions, which I said I wanted to try more of the big batch baking. Gosh, I have a hard time saying that. So doing... Doing desserts for lots of people. How about that? And um, I did last uh, Salvation Army week when they requested desserts make Dory Greenspan's World Peace cookies. Oh, you posted those too, didn't you, on the Facebook page? I remember seeing that. I did post a photo of them. I wanted to thank the listener, and uh, shame on me, I can't remember who it was, who was the first person who recommended, well, why don't you do cookies when you're making your big batch baking? Because I kept... (laughs) thinking I needed something that I could just 
do once, you know, like a huge sheet cake or, you know, some something I could spread in a jelly roll pan or whatever. And the reason I hadn't considered cookies is I just thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to be, you know, taking a sheet pan in and out of the oven all day long. But it really was not that much more difficult. I tripled the recipe. And the recipe tripled really nicely, which was great. You know, you're not quite sure. Yeah, when you're doubling or tripling. So, I mean, there was just a monstrous amount of, like, sticks of butter. And, you know, I hauled out the trusty KitchenAid sand mixer. It was essential in this process. And was it, like, you know, the the batter's, like, creeping up to the (laughs) – Up to the edge (laughs) of the ball. That was pretty exciting, though, I have to tell you. And um, then, you know, once you've made your batter, you roll it out into logs and put them in the refrigerator, and then you slice. And so, sure, you're slicing more than you would for a normal cookie recipe, but um, it really was easy. And then I kind of crowded them together a little bit more on the cookie sheet than I might normally, just so I could maybe not have as many rotations. But they turned out beautifully. Um, The person at the Salvation Army who coordinates the dinner had asked me to do something chocolate. So that worked out really well. And um, if you're interested in the story behind the World Peace Cookie, I think it's really interesting. Um, So if you go and Google Dory Greenspan and World Peace Cookie, you'll see how she came up with this particular cookie and how it's kind of captured bakers all over the world. And, you know, every time I bake that cookie um, now, I'm just going to think about her and how so many people says it brings them happiness. And, you know, if we could all have this cookie, we'd have world peace. And Aww. I know our, our, our world is more complicated than that. But um, it sure felt like a good way to try. That's lovely. And also a nice sentiment to go with your um, donation of your your food and, and yeah. people who probably could use some more peace in their life as well. So, yeah, yeah. that sounds delicious. Yeah. And kind of, you know, of course, why didn't we think of cookies? Like, <laughs> of course. Mm. <laughs> I know how to bake cookies. I could just bake more of them. Uh. <laughs> there you go. There you That's go. why we have our listeners. They are smarter than we are. <laughs> they are also the smart gals uh, for the beach read, you know. <laughs> And guys, let's not let's not <laughs> forget no. our yes, our yes. male listeners for sure. Um, well, we are going to talk about our old fashioned rice pudding that we introduced last week and made this week, and this kind of um, mysterious recipe that we found on on Pinterest that was a photocopy from a community cookbook. Age unknown, name unknown, uh, but this recipe is attributed to. Ann Bender, Gladys M. High, and Mrs. Don Martins. So they came up with a slow cooker rice pudding. I thought for what this was, I thought it was pretty darn good. I made a few substitutions. And the first we had talked about was really scaling back on that nutmeg. So I went with more of I'd say it was somewhere between a quarter and a half a teaspoon of of nutmeg. And then I always thought, you know, I can just sprinkle some on individually at the end if I'm really thinking I didn't get my my fill of nutmeg. But I didn't need to do that. Um, I also substituted dried cranberries for the raisins. I have those on hand. I, I also just like them a little more in general than raisins. They worked great. Um, I love using up leftovers. I had some cooked brown rice, and then I did have some leftover um, Chinese takeout rice. And so I kind of had a, a brown and white rice mix there. Worked very Ooh, well. Fusion. Yeah. It was so quick. Um, you had your evaporated milk, and I think I had some of that leftover from our chess pie also. So rounded that up. Um yeah. And then, you know, it just, you set it and forget it, which is the beauty of the slow cooker. Uh, that was it. And I had mine both warm 
and cold and liked it both ways. So there you go. (laughs) Well, I had a similar, very positive experience. Um, I initially was a bit anxious because just like back in episode 15 on our Tarte Tatan, you made the comment that Martha Stewart's recipe was, you know, strangely nonspecific. I found this recipe as compared to modern day recipes, strangely nonspecific. Um, you know, the first ingredient is two and a half cups of cooked rice. So immediately I was like, what kind of rice? White rice? Brown yes. rice? Yes. If it's white rice, is it basmati? Is it arborio? Is it jasmine? Yep. I w- ended up going with the Nico Nico Calrose rice yep. because that's what I had in my pantry. But, you know, it is funny when you look at old recipes versus recipes today. I think even if the recipe doesn't depend on a certain type of rice. These days, they would say something like that about, you know, we made this with Nico Nico Calro's rice, but you can choose any type of short-grained rice or long-grained rice. You would get more specific. You would. Yes, absolutely. And we had kind of talked about that when we were talking about your mom's old community cookbook that it was just kind of yes. very vague. And, and that may be a calling card of community cookbooks here, too, that we're seeing. Yeah, I think it's a. I think you're right. They probably don't have an editor. They more have some poor beleaguered person who volunteered to put the cookbook together. To do the typesetting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, there there weren't necessarily any efforts to make sure all the recipes were the same, like you see in modern day cookbooks. You know, following the same format and providing the same type of information. Um, I used coconut milk instead of evaporated or scalded milk. Uh, Yum. Yeah. Um, A couple of reasons why I did that. One, I had opened a can of coconut milk for some other recipe I was making that required like two tablespoons. And so I had a can left over. So that was was the primary reason. But the secondary reason when I was doing some research on puddings – um, one thing that kept popping up in my searches was Gordon Ramsay's uh, restaurants in Britain and how he has elevated rice pudding to this elegant dessert now. And several times they mentioned things like he uses um, creme anglaise in his rice pudding or he uses coconut milk and chai tea in his rice puddings. Now, I don't oh. like chai chai tea, but I did think, oh, coconut milk, I can do that. So. I thought that added a nice um, level of flavor, and I love coconut milk. Um, The third ingredient is two-thirds cup brown or white sugar. I went with brown. How about you? I did too. Yeah. Okay. I just thought it would have more flavor. Me too. Yeah. That's why I did that. Yeah. Then then it says one tablespoon of soft butter. And this is where, you know, again, I'm like, I wonder what they meant. Did they mean to cut up and put into the mixture or – the first uh, instruction says to place all of this into a slightly greased slow cooker. So did that tablespoon of butter, was that intended to grease or was that intended to be an ingredient? I used it as an ingredient. Okay. I yep. did too. Mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't sure there. And so. I think that's one of the reasons that they encourage you to stir it after a few hours because my butter had kind of melted into a little puddle. And then when I did stir it, it distributed it throughout the throughout the contents of, okay. the, of the container. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think probably, too, to just help from sticking is, you know, a good thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think I just used Pam, though. I just sprayed it. Oh, okay. There you go. Yep. Um, I did use the vanilla. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about my favorite vanilla from Costco, just the – it's not generic. It's just the Costco brand. But shortly after that, I think it was when I was reading Dory Greenspan's cookie book, she talked about this particular vanilla that she just absolutely loves. And it's from the Sonoma Syrup Company. It's called Vanilla Crush. So I, a little splurge for myself, bought a (laughs) bottle of it. Yeah. Was that pricey? 
Oh, yeah. It was $30. Whoa. Uh-huh. For, I think it was an eight-ounce bottle. It might have been a six-ounce bottle. It was a small bottle. Um, but I thought, you know, this is – this is a cooked recipe, but I do have recipes where I use vanilla where it's not cooked. And I thought in those particular recipes, that's where I'm going to use this pricey vanilla. Okay. In this in this case, the reason I decided to use it is this recipe is kind of bland um, by design. I mean, it's not, you know, uh, meant to be a, a spicy flavor explosion. It's more of a comfort type thing. So I just thought, well, if vanilla is one of the primary notes in this, I just want the very best vanilla I can find. So yeah. Um, that vanilla crush is amazing. Um, when you pour it into your teaspoon measure, you see all the little black flecks of the vanilla bean seeds in it. So it's so, still it's still liquid. It's still liquid, okay. but it ha- it clearly has a lot of the crushed vanilla beans in it as well, and it's just divine. Oh, I'll um, have to put that on my wish list. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I highly recommend it. It's mm. a little splurge, but it's a fun one. Um, and then as we talked about in episode 17, I cut back on the nutmeg. I didn't measure it, but I just grated fresh nutmeg with my rasper. And I think I got probably uh, about a quarter teaspoon. And okay. um, just like you did, I decided I'd just put more on top when I was done. And then finally, ugh, raisins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stinking raisins out of my desserts. I am so annoyed when people put raisins in dessert. Oh, yeah. You and my husband both um, are not fans. He'll tolerate the other dried fruit, like the craisin, which is one of, another reason I did it. But yeah, not a fan of the raisin. And that, you know, that's a real sticking point, too, with like rice pudding with raisins, bread pudding with raisins. There's, there's two camps of people for sure. Uh, yeah. So did you just leave yours out then? No, I substituted dried sour cherries. Oh, that sounds great with the coconut milk. I love this variation. I thought it was fabulous. I thought it tasted really good. I was a little worried about the visual, and I think this is part of my problem with raisins. Like, brown things in a white pudding could look like bugs. I mean, it's just not... (laughs) not visually appealing to me. So I liked my cherries were a very dark brown, but I did cut them up. And so I I felt like they were a little more visually appealing. All right. Well, I'm going to save my next raisin comment for when we talk about the bread and butter pudding. Okay. All right. So... (laughs) And let me just say, if anyone gives me oatmeal cookies and they try to sneak raisins in there, stop it. Okay. I'm not eating cookies to be healthy. (laughs) So you are an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie person then. I'm an oatmeal anything but raisins kind of person. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't put raisins in my dessert. Okay. And and then that raisin pie that my grandma loved would be definitely not your thing. <laughs> sorry, grandma. I'm sorry. <laughs> that would truly be a desperation pie to me because I would be feeling desperate to eat a raisin pie. All right. It, it would, All right. Raisins and cinnamon do not gift these things to Andrea. It would be sad, sad times if I were to reach for a slice of, of raisin pie. Oh, hilarious. Um, so other than those few changes, I followed the recipe as written. I made the the rice the night before. I'm like you. I love having leftover rice. I make fried rice for breakfast a lot. Mm, yum. And so I usually have some um, leftover rice in my fridge just for that purpose. And I, you know, mixed it all up and popped it into the slow cooker. It said you could do two hours on high or four on low. So I went with the two hours on high. Um, and I did it one morning when I woke up and, you know, got it going before breakfast. And so, or or before everyone woke up. So, you know, by the time the two hours had rolled around, it was kind of nine in the morning. And um, I had my first bowl. And then... <laughs> 
and it was I thought it was really great. And then I forgot to turn the slow cooker off. Oh. So and it was on high. And yes. So, when I went back for my second bowl, uh, the texture had really changed. The rice had really kind of expanded and gotten much fluffier. And the butter had browned a lot. And I actually liked it better. It had a little bit of a crust. And I like crusty with custard. Yes. And so, so I chose to do mine on low. And that kind of naturally happened. I got okay. that kind of crusty. Yes. And I like that too. I kind of like tapping through it and, you know, then getting to the soft kind of underbelly of the dessert. Yeah. Like, and and um, so that, that just kind of naturally happened because I had it on low. And in general, when I'm making something in the slow cooker, whether it's savory or, or whatever it is, I will choose the low option if I have the time. I just find I like the results better. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But having well, that like waiting as you wake up, I mean, just like this warm, comforting, yummy breakfast. Um, I know. So good. I know. I think it's a great way to go. So listeners, um, we have our recipe posted on our website and on Pinterest, and we would love for you to try this community cookbook rice pudding or share with us your favorite rice pudding recipe and photos um, with raisins or without. I'm willing to consider if you convince me that it's really good with raisins, I'll take a look. There you go. Well, speaking of raisins, Andrea, and our next recipe does include raisins, but a lot of other delicious ingredients as well. And we think it would be perfect for a St. Patty's Day dessert. It's from an Irish um, author, cookbook author, Cloda McKenna. And the name of this is just unreal. Um, Irish bread and butter pudding with Irish whiskey, caramel butter sauce. I mean, (laughs) whiskey, caramel and butter and pudding. All four of those keywords in my dessert title (laughs) means... It's an automatic thumbs up for me already. And you know, you notice that Cloda did not also include raisins in that title. So perhaps she does. Smart. Fe- <laughs> yeah. But how do you feel about raisins soaked in whiskey? Well, as you know, I was willing to do it for our holiday fruitcake. Um, True. I did, although I used golden raisins, not the regular kind. So certainly, if you are to take the offensive dried uh, raisin and soak it in some alcohol, that does make it more palatable. But, I, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just, raisins aren't for me. So do you think you'll think. leave, do you think you'll leave them out entirely when you make this? I will either leave them out entirely or I will substitute another dried fruit. So the other, I'm not a huge fan of just your kind of just little raisin in the box. You know, I, I'm not a huge fan of those. You're but what made. Right. And But what I've recently discovered and really like are called flame raisins. And I get them in my bulk food section at my grocery store. And they're larger and plumper. And they're kind of, they're not that brownish red. They are more of a almost like a cherry red color. And there's um, like a cherry red and a yellowish and almost like an orangish. So I don't know if it's a variety of different grapes that they've that they've dehydrated or if it's truly this flame grape. Huh. I, I don't know, but um, you might give those a try because I know you like your like d- dried cherries and other dried fruits. They don't taste raisiny to me and they're okay. plumper, they're prettier. Uh, so I think I'm going to use those in this recipe also. Okay. And, you know, I mean, as I'm I'm going 
on at length on my raisin diatribe. I'm realizing, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have a logical reason why I don't like them. I like grapes. I like dried fruits. So there's kind of no reason why I shouldn't like them. I think it's because my mom would give me the little sun-made raisins in the box and try to pretend it was candy. Yeah. And I, and mean, I was let's not get real. By that. <laughs> no. It's it's a fruit, and you're trying to slip me a fruit and um, claim that you're giving me a special candy treat. No, I see right through you. And, you know, also raisins have that really irritating – when they get a little bit dry or they're, like, all clumped together in the box, I, I just don't think they're Ugh. appetizing, you know? So if, yeah. I do think that soaking them in the whiskey is going to help a lot with that plumpness and juiciness. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to have to go buy some Irish whiskey, so I love a trip to the liquor store. <laughs> now, here's my problem with this. I am <laughs> – I'm always convinced at the liquor store that I'm being judged. And so um, I always will make, I already can hear it in my mind. I'm going to be making up this elaborate story to tell the clerk who honestly does probably not care one whit, but mm -hmm. I will be launching into the fact that I'm using this Jameson's for a recipe. I'm not going to go drink it in the parking lot. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. I am the same way. I, I don't feel judged in an individual transaction. I think because um, I'm usually not, you know, I'm getting one bottle, which I, I think is standard and normal. But what I feel judged with is sometimes, especially around the holidays when we were making that eggnog, <laughs> I, I felt like I was buying liquor every other day, at which point I was convinced they, you know, were kind of smiling to my face, but then behind my back being like, sure, she's making eggnog, yeah. you know, Does, doesn't she know we sell that in the dairy section? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, air quotes, she's making Eggnog. eggnog. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. Irish whiskey Jameson's is the is that the standard I should look for? That's the one that that is just a, yeah, it's a good brand. It's imported. It's going to be a little more, but you know, I'm going to make this for St. Patty's. I feel I, I feel I can support the Irish homeland. And um, the other thing I plan to do is buy Irish butter, which is that Kerrygold butter, and it's it's divine. So yeah. um, the really the really intriguing thing that um, I love about this recipe is you you butter each slice of bread individually. I mean, how oh. can <laughs> Oh before making the sauce, which includes like five eggs and two cups of whipping cream. So, you know, um, yeah. I, just get ready I do, for that. I do think um, sauce when it comes to a bread and butter pudding is key. I mean, because you don't have to put it on, but if you're the type of person that likes a sauce with your dessert, it just adds so much as far as I'm concerned. So it's always nice. You could serve it on the side if you were, you know, had people who, who you didn't think might want that, but it's such a lovely way to top off your dessert. Yeah, and the recipe notes here from Cloda say that um, the sauce is addictive. Pour oh. any extra over ice cream to make a... Irish Sunday. So if you will oh. have to see if we agree. <laughs> I mean, it's in the instructions. And as you know, I'm committed yeah. to reading and following the instructions. I mean, so a kind of a, a nice um, recipe for upcoming St. Patty's Day. Uh, and uh, let us know. We're going to have a link to this on uh, preheatedpodcast.com as well as put it up on our Pinterest page. And we hope that you uh, bake this one along with us. Um, one other note is that it, it is baked in a water bath. So that means that you assemble the, the bread and, and the ingredients in one dish, and then you're going to put it into a larger dish that you fill kind of halfway up with boiling water. So just be very careful when you are taking that in. Um, in your Putting it in the oven will already be boiling water, but then especially taking it out. So um, be very careful listeners and cookers out there. 
Yeah. Thanks for the heads up on that. Well, Andrea, it's time for the Gadget Garage. We're back in the Gadget Garage. And I'm going to talk briefly about slow cookers, which were so important to our rice um, pudding recipe that we just talked about. My slow cooker is was a wedding present. Shout out Megan and Jeff. And <laughs> <laughs> I, be, I mean, it's one of those wedding presents that we still use consistently. And it's just a workhorse. There's nothing special about it. It's got two settings. It's got a plug and a lid. And it gets pulled out weekly or biweekly. We do a lot of slow cooker recipes in my household. And so I kind of feel guilty ever, you know, pricing or looking at these new models that they have because there is nothing wrong with the one I have and I would I would feel guilty about getting rid of it. But the slow cookers today, um, they'll do everything from um, they'll have a, a program that you can can set it for a delayed start. They'll have a probe that you can attach if you're cooking a piece of meat and you want to make sure it reaches a certain temperature. Uh, one that the feature that I, I would probably give my current model up for is the ability to go from the stovetop to the slow cooker. So lots of times when I'm doing a meat dish or something like that, I'll want to brown the meat first, and you have to do then a skillet and then put it back into the pan. And and these new models go straight from the stove to the to the slow cooker. And then the fanciest models I've seen are a combination of a slow cooker and a pressure cooker. And pressure cooking is something I've never tried, but is also kind of having a resurgence. And so it, you can kind of toggle between either of those of those methods. And they range from, you know, they range in sizes from like a four to a six quart, and they range in price. It's a really astounding range. Um, I looked on Amazon, and they have a basic model for $7, and okay. then going all the way up to 102 and kind of, you know, the, the, the basic range seems to be in the, you know, $30 to $40 Um so, I'm not sure I would want to leave the house with the $7 model plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little scared. Now, we're not throwing any shade on the $7 model. Um, I probably, for all I know, that's, yeah, that's, uh, but um, I, I read something with firefighters once and they they said, you know, never leave your appliances going, but they made a special mention that it was all right to leave your slow cooker. So, <laughs> hey, I bet they've got a pot of chili going all the time in their slow I know, cooker, I so. know for a fact we have at least one firefighter listening right now. So, John, will you please weigh in on this? Is it safe to leave your slow cooker, even the $7 slow cooker? Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I have kind of a complicated relationship with my slow cooker. So I uh, mine is also very old. It, it might be a college graduation present. I don't know. Um, but just like yours, it's got two settings, low and high. Yep. Um, and you plug it in. It does also have... Um, a button you can press for how long it would stay on. So it can be at high for either four hours or six hours or at low for eight hours or 10 hours. And so when it reaches that uh, time, it will switch over into, I think, a super low kind of warm mode. Oh, that's and, nice. Okay. And that is nice. Um, I say I have a complicated relationship with it because I want to like my slow cooker, but I can't get over the fact that I find... Almost everything I cook in it has a similar stewed meat taste to it, <laughs> yeah. whether it's chicken or beef or whatever. Um, a couple of years ago, I bought the America's Test Kitchen book on slow cookers because I thought, okay, if anyone's figured this out, it is um, Stefan's good friend, Christopher Kimball. Yes. <laughs> and, 
And, you know, he's going to tell me how to really finally do this. And what I loved about his book is he said right up front, you know, these are not the magic bullet everyone thinks they are. Do not think that you can put meat in your slow cooker, leave the house, and come back 10 hours later and have a delicious meal. You won't. You'll have stewed meat. And I was like, yes, thank you. That's my problem. So he had a couple of recommendations in that um, book, which one was to always sear or pre-cook your meat so you get that browning. And that's where I do think um, this new feature that you were talking about, about going from stovetop to slow cooker, I didn't even know that feature existed. So I do think that would be super helpful. And the other is he said never use the low setting. He said always (gasps) use high. What? And so that's where I think the delayed start would be helpful. He said the reason most people use the low setting is because they're gone at work all day. And so they don't want to, you know, cook it for four hours on high and then have it just sitting, you know, while they're gone. And it's kind of like, you know, meat, bacteria, who knows what's going on if it's just sitting there out on the counter for six to eight hours before you get home from work. But he said really um, what what most things benefit from is a four-hour high cook. Okay, this is fascinating. And so that's where that delayed start. If you could sear your meat in the morning and then put it in the slow cooker and then set the delayed start maybe to start at, you know, 2 p.m. And then, yeah, when you come home from work and it's 6 o'clock and there your dinner is ready. But, you know, he sort of disabused me of that notion of there was this, you know, long, slow cook that I was just going to walk in and have this magical dish. Well, the idea, though, of like searing my meat, so I'm kind of cooking it a little, but then leaving it just in a cold pot on my counter doesn't appeal to me, though. That sounds kind of bacteria problematic to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I'd get around that. I'd have to research a little more. Maybe I'll just give Chris a call. Well, (laughs) sure. I'm sure your husband could maybe just shoot him a direct message yeah, yeah. or, you know, something uh-huh. like that. Um, you know, he he didn't say use the delayed start in my head. That's just what I was thinking. I think what he would say is don't start your slow cooker until 2 p.m. Okay. Um, you yeah. Know, okay. And, and right. so, right. you know, he's at home in his kitchen all day or in his commercial kitchen. He can do that. I just think most of the people I know who use slow cookers, the reason – we haul them out as a day where we're going to be gone all day. And yeah, that's, so, that's why know, we're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and so that's kind of in my head how I thought, well, how would I accomplish this? I'm not here at two to pop it in. So, oh, okay, I could use that delayed start. But yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about the fact that it's just sitting there <laughs> with its crunchy outer crust and raw cold inside in your crock pot waiting to be started. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I'll have to investigate how you, how you would get around that or if there's a problem with that. Some things it wouldn't matter. Like I do a three bean chili in the slow cooker and there's there's nothing in you know there's nothing problematic in there so that would work um things like that but there's obviously been a lot of advancements and um it's it's one of those things that they've built the i feel like they've built the perfect appliance because it's just not giving up and i would you know i i I want a new one but i i'm not gonna just throw this one out no how many things did we buy, you know, 20 years ago for, I don't know, I'm guessing mine was 30 or $40 that are still going strong today oh. after regular use? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, listeners, if you have any favorite slow cookers, um, appliances in general that you love, we'd like to know about it. I'm also interested in more dessert recipes for the slow cooker. So if you could post those to Facebook, that would be great. Um, yeah, but we're not – yeah, that when you said they are coming out with some new ones that are kind of combo pressure cooker, slow cooker, is that the Instapot that I've heard so much about? Oh, I don't know what the Instapot is. 
Okay, then we're just going to stick a pin in this thought. My sister-in-law just got an Instapot. I've heard they're like a, I think they're a combination pressure cooker, slow cooker. I know that people who have them think they are, you know, the best appliance ever. And so I'll do some research and we'll come back to the Instapot topic and see if it's applicable to dessert. Fantastic. Yeah, that would be, I would love to know that. Thank you. Um, And we're not done with the Gadget Garage yet because you're going to talk to us about blow torches. Blow torches. So those (laughs) cute cute little handheld uh, kitchen gadgets, blow torches. I had one um, and I used it for a long time with my very most favorite pudding custard dessert, which is creme brulee. Mm. And I loved pulling it out and using it to caramelize the sugar on top. I thought it was so much fun. And then one night we were doing a dinner at a friend's house, and it was one of those type of food club type dinners where, you know, we would pick a theme and and we would kind of all compete or eat around the theme. And that particular night, we I think we were doing New Orleans food, and so we did creme brulee for dessert. And um, in order to kind of test out the different creme brulees, we did four different methods of caramelizing the sugar on top. Okay. So we used um, white sugar on some and brown sugar on others. Okay. And then we used the little handheld kitchen torch. We used a full-on welding torch like you would find in your garage. And we we used the broiler. Um, I would like to know more about the story of... And this was at listener Jeannie's house. So I think you will Was Jeannie the it. owner of the of the welding blowtorch? I don't remember who had the welding torch. Someone ha- must have had the welding torch. Um, but, you know, the winner was the white sugar under the broiler. Oh, fascinating. And after we did that night, I kind of put my kitchen torch away and I honestly forgot about it. And I haven't used it because it, you know, you got to have the little cartridges for it and you got to pull it out and get it together and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's it's just kind of slipped out of my mind. So um, I am going to be hauling it out again. But at least when it came to creme brulee at this particular evening with this group of people, we thought the broiler did a better job caramelizing. I think you need to have practice with the kitchen torch to make sure you don't scorch or burn. You know, you've got to hold it at the right distance and move it around. And if you're not used to doing that, then, you know, that can be a bit of a challenge. Whereas the broiler, you just, you know, place it under the broiler and watch it carefully to make sure it doesn't burn. That's right. And you can also use that in addition to a creme brulee uh, in a meringue. That could be another way you would toast your your meringue. So, uh, but I have always just had success under the broiler too. Um, Mm. It does sound like fun to just kind of play around with it, though. Well, and just to give listeners a sneak preview, um, in an upcoming segment of the Gadget Garage, we're going to talk about my newest favorite kitchen gadget, the sous vide. And um, it is recommended a lot of times in my sous vide recipes to use a kitchen torch to finish off your dish. So I will have I will have an update for you the next time we visit the Gadget Garage. Okay, fantastic. That was a nice um, a nice re-entry back into Gadget Garage. I know. Yeah, we hadn't visited there for a little while. For real. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we continue our cool and creamy month of custards and puddings with one of the king's favorite, banana pudding. You knew it was only a matter of time before Elvis made an appearance on this show, right? We'll also discuss all of the dates you see on products these days. Which should you pay attention to and which can you safely ignore? 
Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on iTunes, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a review, both of which will help others find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Heated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.